welcome back to another podcast hosted by one of the best student organizations on campus, Exercises Medicine at UCSD San Diego, uh, where we are committed to raising awareness about exercise for health and well-being, along with promoting professional development in the diverse careers of sports medicine. Um, just a little disclaimer before we start, we are not medical or fitness professionals, um, and the information we discussed today is just for entertainment purposes and as such is not supposed to be misconstrued as medical advice. And also because this is a live stream on YouTube, we really encourage any of y'all to um, ask any questions you might have for us or for Liam and um, you can post them in the YouTube comments below and I'll like keep track of them and let Liam know. And so for those of you that don't know me, I'm Ashley. I'm EIM's president for this year and one of the co-hosts for today's podcast. I'm Alex, EIM's treasurer and also another, another co-host for today's podcast. And I'm Catherine, I'm one of EIM's professional development coordinators, and I'm going to be the third co-host. And of course, today we have our special guest, Liam Higginson, uh, who is a certified athletic trainer with UCSD Athletics. Um, so for our listeners, Liam, at home, could you please introduce yourself and elaborate a little bit more on your responsibilities as an athletic trainer? Uh, yeah. Hi. Thanks, everyone. And thanks, you three, for having me on. Um, so like Ashley said, I'm one of the certified athletic trainers at UC San Diego. Um, responsibilities include... Uh, injury like evaluation and rehabilitation of, of like orthopedic injury. That's kind of the traditional um, understanding of like what an athletic trainer does. Um, but UC San Diego really follows a holistic approach to like helping our scholar athletes, like getting over injuries or um, really anything. Um, and so we coordinate very closely with our team physicians, with our um, strength or our performance, athletic performance coaches who in some other circles are known as strength conditioning coaches. Um, we coordinate very closely with our team physicians and we even have other healthcare professionals as part of our team. This is obviously pre-COVID when we can bring other people on campus, but um, we have chiropractors on campus a couple of times a week. We have acupuncturists on campus a couple of times a week. And um, yeah, we just like coordinate really closely with them and refer our athletes appropriately and um, just really try to give our athletes as much access to different professionals because not everything works for everybody. And so we try to make a whole bunch of stuff available to them. Um, so I guess keeping like your usual responsibilities in mind, and I know with COVID things have kind of definitely turned um, some things into like a different kind of approach that you all are using in a sense, just because you can't be there in person all the time with the athlete. So I guess um, maybe some listeners at home are wondering, like, what are some things that have changed in terms of um, athletic training right now? Well, very recently, we've been allowed to have athletes back on campus. And so we are like having practices again, um, which is really great because for a while it was a lot of like telemedicine and administrative stuff that isn't the funnest part of the job. Um, but we're finally able to have those people back on campus, which is great. Um, so kind of like a typical day, like it looks different now because like we, our administrative stuff, we do try to do at home more. Um, and so things like record keeping, um, like I have some additional responsibilities, like I liaise with the office for students with disabilities. And so like coordinating with them via email, like that's all done at home now. Like really I'm just on campus for my team's practices. Um, and then like 
whatever pre-practice treatments they need. If they are dealing with an injury, like we'll do like injury evaluations and rehab things around their practice time as closely as possible. Um, yeah, we do all like the documenting and that kind of stuff at home and like other administrative duties that we may have, we, we all do that at home now. So like hearing all of those cool things that you get to do um, with UCSD athletics, I guess, how do you even get started like on that path of becoming an athletic trainer? Uh, well, like most athletic trainers, I think I was an athlete. Um, and we, so like, we all got our, like, we all were exposed to athletics and like sports medicine, that kind of thing as athletes. Um, oh, if you don't mind me asking, what sports did you do? Uh, well, like most high school aged boys, I was very, uh, into contact collision sports. I played a lot of football, um, dabbled in basketball, rugby, what else did I do? Uh, wrestling was another big sport that I did. Um, yeah, so things where I got to throw my body around were things, things that, that I- sounds I, so I, fun. Yeah. Um, and so I was always getting hurt, like many other people. Um, and my mom's actually a physical therapist. And so she, um, like, I, I was always like really fascinated by how she was able to like, without like doing any imaging or anything like that, um, you know, see like what was wrong and like give guidance, to, like help people. She worked in a hospital setting. And so it was, she didn't work with athletics like really ever. Um, and so I, I kind of took that combination of like being really interested in like how she was able to like evaluate and treat orthopedic injuries like that with like, and combined with my passion for athletics and then out came athletic training. Cool. Um, I actually have a question um, for, could you like explain the difference between physical therapy and athletic training? And also this is kind of like a two in one, what inspired you to pursue like athletic training versus other areas of sports medicine or just any other career in general? Um, so I looked into physical therapy when I was in college and they like, there's like multiple fields that, that physical therapists specialize in. So they do like orthopedic stuff, obviously. So like bones, muscles, joints. They also specialize in like neurological stuff from like cardio respiratory and then maybe one other body system. Um, but I was like very like interested in the orthopedic. So that's kind of how I gravitated towards um, athletic training. Um, the other thing is that physical therapy is usually very clinical based. And so you're not like around the athletes as much. Um, while athletic trainers, they, you know, like they're at the practices, they travel with the teams, they're at the games, that kind of thing. Um, so I guess like, that's kind of what made the decision for me is like actually being with the athletes, because like I said, like it's very clinical based and you would never like the, the nice thing about being an athletic trainer is that like when you're at the practices and stuff, like you can see things that aren't problems yet, but you're like, man, that person's like moving weird or like. The, the coaches might make a comment about like, if we could improve this, then like that would improve this part of their game. Um, and so from a very, like it's, it's, you can be a little bit more preventative when you notice those things before they become problems. And like same thing, like watching them like in the weight room, for example. So like we, we try to spend some time at their strength conditioning sessions. Um, and then we'll, the performance coaches are really good at noticing like, hey, like their whatever, their hip flexion, range of motion isn't that great. And if they, if we could improve that, then like they will get more out of this exercise or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, being able to like be at those practices at those like training sessions, um, it just lets you see a little bit more and you're not waiting for things to become problems, which I think is kind of the, um, one of the things that's, I don't want to say wrong with physical therapy, but like being clinical, you wait for people to come to you. Whereas like in athletic training, you can kind of go to them first. I know. So like on the topic kind of like sports or strength and conditioning, I know you also mentioned like in one of our talks as well, that you are a certified uh, strength and conditioning um, or you have that certification. So I did. Um, I at previous schools wore multiple hats because they didn't have the personnel that UC San Diego does. So UC San Diego has a dedicated staff of performance coaches and they're very, very good. Um, I have been at schools where like, it was usually the sport coaches that did um, like the training sessions and some of the sport coaches just hated it. Like they just wanted to focus on like the sport and that's it. And they would just Google like workouts for basketball players or whatever and be like, okay, here you go. And like, say like, okay, like the workout says squat and like they would squat and it's like, oh my goodness. Like how was there like load on this person when they're, when they're squatting like that? Um, and so actually in grad school, I got my um, certified strength conditioning specialist certification, which is like, that's kind of like the standard, like certification for like college setting athletic or uh, performance coaches to have. Um, and like, just to like make me more marketable and it definitely helped me get my first job, I think. Um, but it's kind of an expensive certification to keep up, especially if it's not something that you need to keep up. Um, so I let that expire probably about five years ago. Um, but I am current with my USA weightlifting one just because it's cheaper and easier to maintain that one. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess, I guess a follow-up question. So do you think that, I guess your approach with athletes is like slightly different than maybe other athletic trainers that don't have that type of background? I, like, I think that like we're the sum of our experiences and there's a lot of athletic training, like there's like, so I think every athletic trainer at UC San Diego, like brings their own piece to the puzzle. And like, we, we know what each other's strengths are. Um, and like, just off the top of my head, the person that comes to mind is Claire Pointer, who's one of our other certified athletic trainers. She actually got hired the same year I did. And she's been doing a lot of like continuing education stuff and, um, like development of programming for like yoga in athletics and like mindfulness and that kind of thing. We have like a, I don't even want to guess what her title is, but she's like a mindfulness expert, um, Corey Falcon. And she's part of the athletic performance unit uh, at UC San Diego athletics and Claire and Corey work really closely together. And they're, they put on like yoga sessions and they're over zoom, obviously right now, I think it's every Thursday evening. Um, yeah. So like that would just be something worth like, if I thought like, hey, like women's soccer could really do with like a yoga recovery like uh, session, I would call in Claire. Or like if they're like, you know, some of like the freshmen, for example, or like having like a lot of like anxiety, like playing their first game or something like that. I might bring in Corey to do some like mindfulness exercises and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the long way of saying that like, I do think that we have our own experiences. Does it make me different? Uh, I. I think that that led me to some special trainings that I have done. So like I did my selective functional movement assessment certification, which is like an, an additional training. Um, it's very movement based. Um, and I, I think that that just like helps me focus more on like how people move rather than like um, very like 
focused like joint um, assessments or that kind of thing. Not that those don't have their place. It's just that like you can strengthen, you know, your shoulder external rotation all you want, but like if your thoracic rotation isn't there, then like you're just, you're, like, you're just trying to fill up a bucket with a hole in it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or if I was just rambling, but. Uh. No, it definitely did. Um, I think that's awesome. I was also going to ask you, cause I know um, maybe the path to athletic trainer, I guess, educational wise might be different. Cause I know like UCSD's majority like pre-med students. So they kind of already know like, okay, so after my first four years of undergrad, I'm going to go to med school. Um, so like, how does that, I guess, differ for an athletic trainer or someone looking to become a certified athletic trainer? Um, well, so my path is different than people who are going to be taking that path starting, I think this year, because um, athletic training is moving to an entry-level master's program. And I want to say that this year's athletic training students are the students that were made this year to like programs across the country. They're the, they're the last undergraduate class to be doing that. Um, and so moving forward, like you're going to have to have a degree in something like kinesiology, exercise physiology, that kind of thing. Um, but so my path though was a little different because I did my undergraduate degree. I actually did it in Canada where it's called athletic therapy. Um, but very similar, like, course law, very similar, um, like certifying exams and that kind of thing. It was actually a reciprocity agreement between the United States and Canada. So once I got my Canadian certification, I, I didn't have to like take a whole new degree. I just challenged the American exam, passed it, got certified, and that was basically it. Um, but now the path is an undergraduate degree in something related. Um, you probably, I assume we'll have to do like observation hours or like, or shadow a clinician or something like that um, before you can apply into a lot of programs. Um, but then it's a two year like entry level master's degree. Um, and then after that, probably like getting into like internships and that kind of thing. Um, so my path to like get to where I am today was I did my undergrad while I was a student like at the University of Manitoba. Um, I would work under certified athletic trainers and like more advanced students for the couple of years that I was there. Um, and then I went to grad school in the United States at the University of North Dakota. My first year there was actually like a little bit of a time lag um, between me getting certified in Canada and then being able to challenge the American exam. So I had to take a year of like not working as a certified professional, but the um, program director for the athletic training program at University of North Dakota, Steve Westering, allowed me to do an internship with the football team, which was great because it allowed me to like, you know, keep my skills sharp, um, get to know like the, the certified athletic trainers, some of the students, um, get to know some of the athletes and the teams and that kind of thing. So that in my second year of um, my master's, I was able to work as a graduate uh, assistant um, where I had like a little bit more autonomy. Um, and like, so I was working with women's soccer and softball at, at the school at that time. Um, so it's gonna be different now because like being an entry level student, um, students aren't gonna have that kind of autonomy because they're not gonna be certified coming into the program anymore. Um, but I assume it's gonna be similar where they'll, like as they're learning stuff, they'll be working, they'll be assigned to a team, um, like working under a certified athletic trainer and um, probably have to accumulate a certain amount of hours before you can challenge the national exam, very similar to how it is now. Um, and then when they get out, 
you know, some people will be lucky enough, they'll be able to land like a full-time job out of their master's degree. Um, a lot of college positions though, and like um, professional sports teams will require like some sort of like internship or something like that, like where you have some autonomy, but you're still supervised kind of like the graduate assistantship is now. Um, so yeah, so the, the path is changing, but kind of the steps are the same where you like, you get your degree, like shadow a little bit, get a little bit more autonomy, and then you go into like kind of your full-time positions. You said you got to work with a football team for your mm -hmm. internship. Yeah. How was that? Because I feel that whenever I or any of my friends get thrown into like an internship that is basically all hands-on, it's very hard to get used to, at least like in the first few weeks. Um, I don't know how long your internship lasted. If, if you want to like elaborate on that, that'd be great. Yeah. So it was like, it was a season. So I came in in August and I was there for their preseason and stuff. Um, it probably would have been a little bit more intensive if I was a certified athletic trainer when I was there. So I, I was certified in Canada, but like, you know, it doesn't count for much from a legality standpoint, if I really do something wrong or that kind of thing. So um, no one trusts the Canadians. Um, but so I would like, at the practice, it was a lot of like just being there and like we would have athletic trainers and like athletic training students kind of spaced around the field. Um, and so one person would be with like the defensive line, one person would be with the linebackers, um, one person would be with like quarterback receivers, that kind of thing um, for the first part of practice when they were like split up like that. Then we would all come together and then like when the defense was a unit and the offense was a unit, there'd be like, like, like as like, the defensive line, the linebackers came together, those two athletic trainers would come together as well. Um, and that position was a lot of like, um, I mean, some of it was just busy work of like filling water bottles and make sure like the athletes had all that stuff available to them. Um, some of it was just like very basic first day, like someone would get a scratch and you just patch it up and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I wasn't too, too involved in like the, the, the clinical side of that. So like the, the injury evaluations and the, um, the rehabs and that kind of thing, like a little bit kind of like as my schedule and their schedule allowed. Um, but the, like my assistantship that started the following year is definitely a lot more intense because I was at like all the practices, traveled with them to the games, like did all the evaluations, ran all the rehabs, that kind of thing. I had a couple students working under me as well. Um, so yeah, the, fo the football one was actually pretty chill. I'm like, people aren't going to say that too often about football positions because like, you know, like the sport coaches work like 80 hour weeks and that kind of thing. Like football's, football's its own monster. Um, yeah, my, my experience is actually pretty chill. Um, I guess just in all your experiences, what are some of your most memorable case studies or things that you've seen? Ooh, um, so like there have, there has been a couple of times where like we've seen injuries and it, like it's stuff like you've only ever read about um, or like, um, it's something that like, yeah, like we'll, we'll order this image or whatever, because like we have to rule it out. Then it turns out to like actually be that thing that you're ruling out. Um, my second year at UC San Diego and my first year with the women's soccer team. So just, um, to clear that up. So like we're assigned to team. So there's seven full-time athletic trainers at UC San Diego in the intercollegiate group. And we have 23 sports. And so a lot of us have like two to three to four sports if you split up men's and women's um, sports like assigned to us. And so we are like the lead person for the medical care for our assigned sports. So my assigned sports now are 
um, women's soccer, women's water polo, and women's rowing. Um, and so my first year of being assigned to women's soccer, we went to Hawaii for a preseason um, like tournament tour thing. And we were actually playing the University of Hawaii and um, a freshman got hurt. She got kneed in the calf. Um, and I just thought like, in, like she finished the half. And so I'll, I'll say what the injury was in a second, but like you have to understand how tough this person was to finish the half with the injury that she had. Um, so she finished the half and then she came off and she was like limping and she was like in a quite a bit of pain. I saw like, oh, it's probably just a Charlie horse. Like we'll ice it and we'll do kind of like light stretching and like just Charlie horse um, like care. And it's pretty basic. She kept having more and more pain and I kept thinking this is weird. And so I actually called over the University of Hawaii's um, sports medicine fellow, like a physician that was covering the game. And like, I was feeling around on this scholar athlete's calf, and like the skin was getting really tight. And I just thought to myself, like, no, that's impossible because you can get this injury that's called a, a key compartment syndrome. And so if you take a cross section of the calf, there's four compartments that are surrounded by fascia and fascia is kind of like skin, it's just the connective tissue. And it surrounds like all the muscles in the calf. A compartment syndrome is like when there's swelling that expands like beyond like what the fascia compartment is like used to accommodating. Um, and so if it, like, but like swelling up against fascia is like running into a brick wall. Like there's no gains. And like, so if there's too much swelling, it's eventually gonna occlude like blood vessels and nerves and that kind of thing. So it's a pretty immediate threat to that person's like limb. Um, and so I felt it, the fellow felt it and we're like, no, like that, it can't be. And she's like, I mean, like, it looks like it. And like, this, this stuff usually happens in like car accidents, like not sporting events. Um, so she went to the hospital and we're like, okay, like, we'll just rule it out. Like, it'll be fine. That night she had all four fascial compartments released. And so basically you just like make a incision and just like allow the compartment to expand like you drain the swelling and that kind of thing. And then like, once the swelling goes down, you close them back up. And she like, the compartment had to be open for like three or four days. And so like, there was like muscle there. Like, so it was gnarly. Um, like even like the orthopedic surgeon that was on call was like, no, like it's impossible. Like this is like, like this doesn't happen in sport. And he like was like, ah, like, do we do it? Do we not? Like, we probably should be safe. And then this cardio or this um, vascular surgeon walked in. He just like looked at her, squeezed her calf. He's like, yep, we're going to do the fasciotomy. It's like, okay, good. And like, yeah, like it was nuts. And so rehabbing her was very interesting because like there isn't a protocol for that. And it's basically just like wound care, maintaining her strength. Um, and like, she had to like read, like, learn how to walk basically because like she was kind of stuck in this like shortened calf position for a while that like kind of like the heel toe strike was very like novel to her again um but she's back she's been she missed the fall she played her first game that spring um and she's been a very big producer for the team since then and yeah like it was it was weird but it's just one of those things that like you're like yeah like, we should probably be safe but then we when it got checked out like huh that's crazy um, and then another one was a, it's called Liz Frank injury, which is, um, if you think about the foot, like you think about your wrist, there's 
the wrists in your bones are called carpal bones, and then the um, bones in your hand are your metacarpals. Same setup in your foot and ankle, basically, where it's the tarsal bones and then the metatarsal bones, like the bones in your, your hand. So the joint that connects those two is called this Frank joint. And you can get like a fracture dislocation injury to that, which is very unusual, um, especially for this person who is an aquatics athlete who um, like you would never expect this to happen to someone who's like never under gravity really. Um, but she got hurt outside of the water and um, this rehabbing her was very interesting because again, like there's no protocols on it because it happens so infrequently and the, the surgery is like, Getting the imaging for that is just like, yeah, we'll just rule it out. Um, but then like the image came back and then she had the surgery and like the rehab's a lot of like foot ankle stability and strengthening and that kind of thing. But she's back in the water now. She was actually back in the water right when COVID quarantine started. She's like, all right, we're clear. And then it's like, okay, everyone go home. So that sucked for her. Um, yeah, so those are a couple of kind of like the interesting um, injury cases that, that I personally dealt with. Um, they both happened at UC San Diego. I don't know if that's kind of a neat experience for me or I'm just bad luck for the athletes here, but uh, um, yeah, just things that you never think you're gonna see except for in a textbook. You, you get to like travel a lot or not a lot, but like you went to Hawaii for that soccer tournament and that you also like being an athletic trainer because of like, you know, the hands-on, like you can travel with them. Um, I, mean, I like, guess through that, do you, oh, sorry. I was just going to say the, the traveling is a lot of like, when we were in Hawaii, like we went from the hotel to the fields, back to the Oh, hotel. no time for vacation. Yeah. We spent very little time on the beach. Um, and I'm, I'm still teased by the athletic trainers because, so that injury happened like towards the end of our trip there. And so this person had to stay in Hawaii because she had to have like emergency surgery in Hawaii. And so I stayed with her. So I remember calling my, uh, my boss and I was like, hey, like, so this happened and someone should probably stay here. And she's like, really? Like, that's like that's the story you're going to tell me to stay in Hawaii for an extra week? I'm like, it happened, I swear. I can send you the paperwork. Um, yeah, you, you have the yeah, receipts. Have the receipts. Like, it's all there. Um, but it, like, even then, like, it was like, I you know, I got a couple like runs on the beach in that week when I was there, but like, I would still just like go from like, get in for my run go to the hospital, hang out there for the day, and then go back to the hotel. Okay. But they but still tease me like on an extra week of vacation in Hawaii. <laughs> I want that. My future job, Yeah. I'm, I'm manifesting it right now. There you go. Hawaii. Um, but I guess uh, my question like for, or in terms of like your traveling, uh, I guess, do you feel that you build like closer relationships with your like patients and with the UCSD students? you know, rather than if you were say, you know, a PT, like your mom and you were um, seeing patients, I guess not as consistently or like, you know, not year after year, you see like the same, I guess, students, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, like I think that like the travel like helps with that. Um, like, so the answer to your question is yes. Like I do think that like athletic trainers are gonna have like very close relationships to our, um, like to our scholar athletes. Um, which I think is very important because like I've been in positions where like people have trusted me with information about like themselves or their teammates, for example, um, that like they might not have trusted with like someone who like they weren't super familiar with. Um, and like that has allowed me to like 
guide people towards like the appropriate like support team that they needed for like whatever was going on in their life. Um, but like like being on the road with them like that helps. I mean, but just like like we're we're just always around. Like we're always checking with them. Like especially like when we were gone for um, like quarantine and stuff. Like the coaches weren't allowed to have a ton of access or like a ton of contact with their scholar athletes because like of just like NCAA rules and um, like they could have like weekly check-ins and like team meetings and that kind of thing. But um, like when there was a lot of like stuff going on, like in the, the social landscape of the country, like I was checking with the athletes to just make sure like, Hey, like, how's your body? And just like, how are you? Um, I think that like, just like that kind of stuff just like helps us build those like strong relationships with our scholar athletes too. Um, yeah, like I think that that's important. I'm sure your scholar athletes are like really, really appreciative, especially that like you kept up with them. Like that's yeah. really cool. Um, I guess now shifting like the topic onto uh, exercise and uh, well-being. How do you personally uh, stay active, especially you know during COVID? <laughs> um, well, for the first like month of quarantine. Um, I was still registered to do my second full distance Ironman race. Um, and then eventually that got canceled because of COVID obviously. Um, but you know, like you just have to get a little bit creative when like pools start getting shut down and, uh, like gyms start getting shut down and that kind of thing. But, um, like I could still run, I could still bike, and, you know, the outside is still there. I mean, like fitness facilities are, they've been shut down for, um, like since March, basically, I don't like Remac at UC San Diego has been shut down since March. Um, but you know, like we live in San Diego, like rains like five days a year. The rest of the time, it's pretty snug between like 72 and 79. So you don't really have an excuse to like not go outside, I don't think. Um, the, the time demands can definitely require a little bit of like creative um, scheduling um and just like if you like what you're doing like as far as physical activity wise like I always like have something that I'm working towards and so I usually I always have a goal so it really sucked when my Ironman got canceled because I was like okay well like now I'm just working out for no reason um but I actually um have this online subscription this is going to sound really dorky but there's this um game called Zwift okay and Zwift is a online um, based like fitness, they, they market it as a video game. So basically you have to have some sort of like device hooked onto your bike or like, um, like a foot pod or something like that on your shoe. So that when you like run on a treadmill, like you bike indoors, that kind of thing, it sends information to your avatar. And like, so like the, first, the faster you bike, the faster your avatar bikes and like you can accumulate miles which gets you points and like experience points i see you all laughing at me because it sounds really really dorky um and like i explain this like across country scholar athletes and they're like liam wow like that is that um but like they, they, they put like challenges on zwift and that kind of thing and um so something that i worked towards actually for a couple weeks was this challenge put forth by these guys called the hell's 500 i think they're out of boulder um where they, they have this challenge called everesting which is like you pick a hill and then in one effort you climb the height of everest which is twenty nine thousand feet twenty nine thousand twenty nine feet okay 
And like the world record for it's like seven hours, something like that. And like these dudes, like travel the world looking for like the perfect hill, like the perfect grade, perfect length. There's not too many turns, that kind of thing. I did it on Zwift. And so I would just like point my bike at my TV. I watched all six Terminator movies during this effort, um, which is like, that's usually like how I bike too. Like I'll usually pick like a series of movies, like the Avenger movies or like um, Star Wars or that kind of thing. And I'll just like bike for like six hours and just like put a couple movies away. Um, but I trained for a couple weeks and I did like more and more like climbing and hill repeats on Zwift and that kind of thing. And um, then the day came, it took me 19 hours to do it total. Um, but the nice thing about Zwift and doing it virtually is like you bike up the hill, but then like when you turn around, you're going back down, you can just hop off your bike, get a bite to eat, take a break, you know, watch a little bit more of your movie or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was 19 hours total, 15 hours in the saddle. So that, that kept me busy for a couple of weeks getting ready for that. Um, and then I think June 1st or July 1st, I registered for my first 50 mile trail race, which is in, it's in San Diego. I think it's up in Encinitas. Um, and so I've just like for the past four weeks, I've been just running a ton. Um, yeah, I mean like, I, so I guess like just having something to work towards is what like helps me stay focused. And like a lot of people to like get into running, I know they'll register for their first 5K or 10K or like if they've been doing it for a while, they'll register for their first marathon, um, just to give them something to like work towards and plan for. Hey, if Zwift is the way to go, did you say Zwift, by the way? Zwift, Z-W-I-F-T. Um, and it's, yeah, like it's really dorky, but it's like, it's this really just fun online community. And like, there's all these like challenges and stuff. And you get like all your root badges, which are always getting really fired up. My wife always makes fun of me. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's just something to like keep me motivated. Because it's like, okay, like today I'm going to do this route and get this root badge or do this challenge. And yeah, just like it just it kept me in the saddle, so it was it was nice, especially if it, my race got canceled. Yeah, if it works, it works. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I've heard of like apps like they don't sound as official as yours because they were more about like running away from zombies. So I've heard of that one. Yeah, so so, you would like have like would that be like outside or like on a treadmill? I think any i'm not sure like i haven't used them i've just heard of other people using them but they seem so fun yeah like if you look around like the ultra endurance community has tons of like really just dorky little apps that you can subscribe to and, and there's other ones that like you can like ride virtually like ironman routes and like tour de france stages and like all kinds of stuff um, and then there's ones that are just like just workouts like suffer fest or something like that um but like it, it's nice because like I don't like biking outside a ton just because like even pro athletes like get into like accidents and they get hit by cars and that kind of thing and just like people aren't super aware um, so like it's safer it, you don't have to like drive for an hour to like get to a route to like work out or whatever um, so yeah it's just like it's just more convenient too, to just like work out inside um, yeah so that's kind of what kept me busy over quarantine. Those apps sound super cool. I've actually, I've never heard of anything like that. So now I know there's Zwift and there's zombies. So like, <laughs> exactly. and like Zwift always has like seasonal stuff. Like if you do a workout, like a couple of days before, after Christmas, like you, um, 
you're like you're wearing like a Santa hat. Um, I think last year I did a run workout on Halloween and like my avatar's head was a jack-o'-lantern. So like they did all kinds of like just kind of goofy stuff like that. So maybe there will be like a running away from zombies challenge this Halloween. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, and then another question that I had for you. So as an athletic trainer, do you think the way that you exercise, like, do you think being an athletic trainer has influenced maybe like how you do your exercises or are you just like a little bit more hyper aware while you're doing some exercises? Um, I, I think that it does a couple of things for me as an athletic trainer. Like it gives me an appreciation for like, kind of like what athletes go through, like when they miss time for like, if they can't get like a workout in or that kind of thing. But then like, I always tell them like, look, like it's okay. You're not going to lose too much like fitness or whatever. You miss a workout because you're hurt or because like, you're not going to get enough sleep or you have these other commitments in your life or whatever. And then, but like, I like have to tell myself that like, if I like can't get a workout in because of X, Y, or Z, like um, I have, like in the last couple of weeks, even um, just like cut workouts out and like felt like a little guilty about it. And like, so it just kind of gives you an appreciation for what the athletes, what the scholar athletes go through. Um, as far as like bringing what I've learned, like going through like, like my, like my, my education, like college and grad school and just like everything I've learned since then. Um, like definitely like using like, like a good like strength conditioning program as like a means of like injury prevention, like, and like, and also like performance enhancement um, so that you're not just running because running is a very like repetitive, like you're, you're always going forward. Like it's always the same like movement over and over again. So it's just like a recipe for imbalances. Um, and so like structuring a good like strength routine um, and like, as well as like a soft tissue mobility routine um, to like help kind of offset that very repetitive motion. Um, and like, especially for like, like Ironman and triathlon stuff, like with the swimming too, like shoulder care, like it just like gives me all these tools to use on myself. Um, but I also think that it, like it helps, like it's nice when the athletes, the scholar athletes see you doing what you're preaching to them. So like, the soft tissue mobility routine that I give a lot of the scholar athletes, like when their hips are sore or whatever, like they see me doing it and they're like, oh, okay, he's not just saying that, like he's not just blowing smoke. Like this must be something that he believes in because he's using it for his own body. Um, yeah, and like it just kind of gives you a little bit of like credibility, I think of like, this will help you with your sport if you like, and they'll believe that more if they see you do That's doing. great to just practice what you preach. Yeah. And yeah, so we are actually almost out of time. And one more question for you is, um, is there any advice you could give students at UCSD looking into sports medicine or athletic training? Um, well, I think like do your research on like what you want your profession to be and like ask professionals in the fields like what like like just like make sure it'd be a good fit for you because like you know some like especially like early in my career like my my work-life balance wasn't great just because like I worked in a smaller institution um and like I just kind of thought like that's how it's supposed to be like if you work in college athletics like you're supposed to be working like 12 hours a day 
Um, like I really truly believe that up until I got to UC San Diego. Um, but our, our director of sports medicine here like really believes in like having an appropriate work-life balance. Um, so, but like, like asking the people in like the field, like what's your work-life balance? Like what's like your commitments outside of the like, normal nine to five? Um, just to make sure that the career is free because you wouldn't want to spend a whole bunch of time getting a formal education and like doing all like the board exams, that kind of thing, and then getting into it for a year and then burning out because like you hate it. Um, and then just like for sure, like do your research on um, like the like what the requirements for like your school are. So like if you want to stay in San Diego, like uh, Point Loma Nazarene is like has a master's program. I believe San Diego State is going to have an entry level master's program, or if they don't already do. Um, if you want to go outside of San Diego, um, like one of our former athletic training students um, wants to go to the East Coast just because she's lived here for 22 years and she wants to see other parts of the country. Um, but just, you know, do your research on those programs, make sure like you know what the, the requirements of that school are so that you can like not applying and you're like, oh, I wish two years ago when I only took two courses that I take in this one so that I can actually, actually apply into the school. Um, so yeah, but I mean, like, I think above all, just like truly understand what the demands of the profession are that you're getting yourself into because it's not for everyone. And I'm not trying to discourage anybody, but it's a great profession to be in. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely not for everyone. That's a super good point um, to bring up, especially like now in college, you know, when you're starting to like almost finalize your decisions in a sense, but also just being aware of, you know, getting those like, requirements. Maybe some people are listening to me talk about like the travel and being away from home. And like, um, like I don't like have kids and I don't have plans for kids, but um, like, if that's something that's like in your future, like that's like, that's something to consider because like, it's a lot of time away from home. Like maybe people are like, well, I, you know, I do want this. And like, I don't want to travel and I don't want to like, be at work at six o'clock in the morning and like but like dang like that pt that lean was talking about like i want to be a physical therapist so like maybe the thing that like wasn't right for me is right for someone else which is totally fine <laughs> that's also good to know maybe too. it's been a plug for physical therapy for some of you listening. <laughs> um, but again i want to thank you liam for you know coming on our podcast and talking a little bit about yourself and you know how to become a certified athletic trainer and what that entails. Um, so yes, thank you for coming to speak with us. Um, and then for the viewers at home, if you'd like to learn more about um, our student organization, EIM, um, we do have a GBM on Wednesday of week four. So it's coming up very soon. It'll be from seven to 8 p.m. Um, for any more updates, you can always look to our social media. Um, so you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, or even to view our past podcasts, you can look for us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. Um, so that's all for us for today. So uh, thank you for joining us and hopefully we'll see you again soon on our next episode. Thank you.